Good morning. We're coming to you from Zion Church of Kirk. We're glad that you could join us this morning for our online live stream here in the chapel in Zion Church. We have some lyrics for you. We're going to start out with How Majestic Is Your Name? And we're going to move on to Indescribable. Wherever you are, wherever you may be today, watching this on your screen, we encourage you to sing along. We encourage you to worship. We encourage you to pray along with us as well as we listen to the message from Pastor Aubrey. And uh, Miss CJ, she gives us uh, some time with our children as well. Let us come together and see how majestic is your name.
PJ. She is going to be working with our children this morning, and uh, your children can watch her as she leads our children's moments. Good morning, kiddos. I hope you all had a wonderful and a happy Easter. And today we're going to talk about being strong in Christ. So I brought this, it's called a kettleball, and if you'll do just about 30 reps of these every morning, you'll be strong. But we're not going to talk about that kind of being strong. It's going to drop. It's going to make noise. We're going to talk about using this to be strong, and it's your Bible. Now, if you'll open your Bible to the first book of the New Testament, it's called Matthew. And I want you to go to chapter 11 and go to verse 28. And we'll talk about it. I'll read it in a minute, but I'll let you get there. So I know we all have troubles. Some of us have troubles in school. Some of us have families that are going through hard times because they don't have a job or money right now. Some of us have family members that are sick. But you know, you don't have to do this by yourself. God will help you be strong and get through it. So that verse in Matthew says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. There are other verses in the Bible that will help us with that. Now, does that mean that God's just going to take everything away and make it all good? No, I don't think so. God's going to help you, though, so with Him, you can be strong. You can let Him help you with those burdens. Sometimes those burdens help us be stronger later on in life, and we just don't know what He has planned for us. So remember that with Jesus, you can be strong. Now, one of those ways I want you to help learn to be strong with Christ is we're going to do something, and it's a Sunday school assignment. I want you to get a paper and a pencil, and if you can't write, get your parents to help you. Every day, I want you to go outside and do a God sighting. What does that mean? Well, it might be a really pretty flower. It might be a puppy or a kitten or a newborn pet. It might be a smile on a stranger's face, but I want you to write it down. At the end of the week, you should have at least seven, but I bet you'll have more and you can't even keep up with all your God sightings. That'll help make you strong in Christ, and reading your Bible will give you the most strength of all. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you to carry our burdens with us to help them make us stronger. We pray for our leaders for their wisdom to help us through all of this, for our caretakers to be strong, and our scientists to figure out all this stuff. Dear God, be with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It is a blessing to be together this morning and have the opportunity to worship under these conditions. And uh, we're grateful to have the opportunity to come together like this. Wish it was different, but we're even grateful that we can do this. And we would hope that what we have to say to you this morning, our songs and uh, lessons and prayers, uh, they're encouraging to you. I believe, uh, I believe we're honoring God. As uh, we get, uh, uh, before I bring a message this morning, I'm going to have one of our elders, Paul Jenkins, come forward. He's going to have a scripture reading for you and, uh, and a prayer. Thank you, Pastor Aubrey. We live in a, a time now filled with great fear and trepidation and it is a time of the unknown and uh, a time where we are called as Christian people to set forth uh, the reality of the truth of God's word and the, the glorious gift of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and live fully to that extent. And uh, the scriptures are full of these times. If you go back and read the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see 
great periods of trial and tribulation upon the earth, and that comes to us both individually and collectively as a nation. And when we look at the scriptures, we see the beauty of the tapestry of this woven together from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And what a joy it is to see the Word completely, fully explained to us and build and build and build into a point. And within the eternal gift of salvation granted by God and the regeneration of the people who are dead in their trespass and sin and are made alive, we see that there's not only a goal here for us in this earth to live to the glory of Jesus Christ, but it has an eternal destiny. And we can go all the way back to the book of Isaiah, and we can see Isaiah speaking about that new Jerusalem, the new celestial city, the eternal dwelling place for those God has called out of darkness into the light that trust him and in Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. And so the Old Testament as well as the New Testament speaks about this rejuvenated city, nation, kingdom. Not one that we are living in as today, but one that has many other qualifications to it that are so beautiful. And we see this in Isaiah where it says, Behold, I create a new heaven and a new earth, and the former things shall be not remembered or come to mind. I create a new Jerusalem for rejoicing, and there your eyes will see the king in his beauty in this far distant land. And when you look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast, your eyes shall see Jerusalem as an undisturbed habitation. And no resident there will say, I am sick. For the people who dwell there will be forgiven their iniquity. The culmination of this in its utmost is found in the book of Revelation. And I saw in that city that there was no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb is its temple. And the city has no need for sun or the moon. To shine upon it, for the glory of the Lord shall illuminate it. And in this city the nations shall walk by its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. And in the daytime, for there is no night there, they shall all be glorified. And they shall be in glory and honor to all the peoples there. And nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come in into it. Come into it but only those whose book names are written in the book of life, in the Lamb's book of life. And he showed me the river of water of life there, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then in the middle of the street, and on either side was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the people. And there shall no longer be any sin, and the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it, and his bondservant shall serve him there. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be upon their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night, and they shall not have need of light of the lamp, nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God illumines them, and they shall reign there forever. Father in heaven, the sweetness of these words intensifies the joy of our heart and bring us great yearning to live out the truths of your word, to study them, to know them, to act upon them, Lord. And even in these days, Lord, we know that we have the forgiveness of sin to those who desire not to sin, but when they do, Lord, to come to you with contrite hearts and asking forgiveness. And Lord, during this period of time, let our hearts be full of joy in the, in the knowledge that what is upon us now is but a passing moment in your eternal history. 
Father, that we may grow strong in your grace and that we may even be more accelerated to the point of sharing the gospel and the truth of Jesus and the glory of his name. Because we're looking for a different country. We're looking for a different home, Lord, because you have promised it in your word. We're looking for that celestial city, that eternal Jerusalem, where we, we may abide in joy and in glory, without sin, without sorrow, without sickness, and see our Lord and Savior in all of his radiant majesty and holiness, and know him, and be with him forever. And it is in his name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Mark. CJ, Paul. Uh, we got Allison who, uh, and Jackson who are helping us with all the technology here. And thank God for that. So uh, it is good to be here. I do want to... Just encourage you, and I know that uh, hard times uh, would probably pray a little bit more than we do. I wish we were all in the habit of just praying and praying in the good times, the hard times, difficult times, the joyful times. Um, you know, we have in our congregation, we have people who have lost their jobs uh, recently. Both of them were oil field related. We have people that are work dealing with certain different uh, maladies, cancer. Um, various uh, things like that. We have, just, and then throughout the world, we just have so many people that are suffering, uh, whether it's uh, economically or physically uh, and emotionally. Uh, it's a very stressful time. Obviously, I just encourage you to continue to be in prayer for all those that are in need. Uh, God does, in fact, hear our prayers. The scripture is very clear uh, about that, that God indeed hears our prayers. And so all of us, difficult, can't necessarily meet together, but we can pray, and we can be united in our prayer uh, for one another and, uh, and for those throughout the world, uh, that God does effectually hear our prayers in response to this. So I just want to encourage us to be in prayer. Um, so we'll start this morning. I'm going to be in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 1, and uh, so I encourage you to turn uh, your Bible there. It'll be Colossians, chapter 1. Verses 1 through 8. Uh, Mark, had a question for you this morning. Do you know what is more amazing than a talking dog? No, what's more amazing than a talking dog? A spelling bee. Spelling bee. <laughs> well, I, you know, that bit of wisdom was passed on to me this week. And uh, <laughs> I was just glad to share it with you. So, Colossians uh, chapter 1. This is, uh, I had read and spoke out of Philippians last week. Colossians is another one of those books. Uh, the book of Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians are uh, what are known and historically been known as the prison epistles. They're written by the Apostle Paul. And uh, it, uh, he, was, uh, he was a prisoner. He was being held as a prisoner under Roman law. He had appealed to, as a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar to have his case bought, uh, brought before Caesar. And so through that whole process of time, uh, actually took many years uh, for him to arrive in Rome, but he was a prisoner under Roman law as he was waiting for that opportunity. And he wrote uh, these three books that, uh, again, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians in the first chapter. Uh, I will say to you this week during my study, Scripture does, Scripture accomplishes uh, several things when we when we're reading God's word and we're studying God's word, uh, I've said this many times, I have no problem repeating it, uh, it challenges us. I think reading God's word challenges us on a lot of different levels, um, so uniquely different than any other thing. We, we face challenges in life, but the Bible, God's word, is the highest language. I, if you're not a believer, if you're someone that doesn't... Uh, necessarily believe in, in God, I would just challenge you, even historically, those that weren't uh, followers of Christ have said that the highest language, historically, that man has ever been able to witness 
has been God's word. It is of the highest language. And so it challenges us. It encourages us. Um, it convicts us. And so it leads us to a deeper thought. I think a deeper love. Into uh, 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 a place of humility. Which I haven't experienced any other. Just I just haven't under any other medium. And even my personal life. Scripture accomplishes that. So this week in my study. I was in the book of Colossians. This is an introductory statement by the Apostle Paul. And as I read these words, I want you to focus on, on, on really just one thing. As I've read these words many times, and each time I read, read them, it's the same thing. There is a sense of encouragement um, and hope. I read them, and I'm just going to say it. You know, it's interesting. We live in a world now where people, uh, uh, certainly some people, don't want to talk about feelings. Maybe we do. <laughs> Certainly there's a lot of people who do want to talk about feelings. But uh, especially in, in relationship to Scripture. You know, we, so many times we have an intellectual approach to Scripture and we avoid the emotional part of that. We avoid the feeling part of that. I think that's erroneous on several levels. Uh, if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has led the children of Israel out of Egyptian slavery, bondage, and God speaks to him and he tells them and uh, Moses writes in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and he said this is a command. In fact, this is what has been known as the greatest command in Scripture. And so Moses' word from God to God's people was, you are to love the Lord your God. You are to love him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might, and with all your soul. And the heart, whether it was uh, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, referred to a person's emotional. Uh, status. Our might was physical or strength. Our intellect was our mind. Our soul would obviously be our spirit, our spiritual condition. Uh, and so we were told the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with everything you got emotionally, everything you got intellectually, everything you got physically, and everything you have spiritually in your soul. And so in, then you go to Romans chapter 10, this great statement about faith. It says with the heart. With the heart, we believe. And so it's through a man's heart, his emotional status. It's tied together. It's an intellectual process. It's a spiritual process. But it ultimately, it says with the heart, we believe. We're told, David writes in the 51st Psalm, that God desires a broken heart. That God desires a broken heart, an emotional place where our heart is broken, and a contract spirit where our spirit is okay. God, I just need to rely on you. That's what. And so that's it. So the reason I say that is I read this passage here. I, there are several things that happen to me. But the number one thing that happens to me is this encouragement. Um, it's an emotional encouragement for me. Yeah, it's intellectual. But when I, this is one of those places I read concerning the church that the feeling that comes out of me is this is good. This is really, really good. So Colossians chapter 1 uh, beginning verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. So he's with Timothy, young preacher, old preacher, young preacher's with him. Uh, he's being held as a prisoner. Uh, and so he writes verse 2, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. Second, Timothy, our brother, and now he's talking about the brethren in Christ who are at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God. We give thanks to God. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you just, uh, just as in all the world. Also, it is constantly, it's constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf, and he also informed us of your love 
in the Spirit. That's an opening statement. Now, if you read every one of Paul's letters, he has an opening statement to each one. To the Romans, uh, the Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, the Thessalonians, he starts his letter with an introduction. And if you were to put all of them together, there are similarities, but each one of them has a unique statement and or sentiments. This is one of those examples. Uh, some of the churches huh, were in a healthier place spiritually than some. Uh, if you just read the book of Corinthians, those people were, uh, they were, uh, <laughs> they had a unique set of issues. And each one, each letter that Paul writes, uh, Paul is dealing with a letter and an issue, maybe several issues, to those Christians he had a relationship, trying to encourage them spiritually. Um, this one, what's unique about this is that as far as we know, Paul had never been to Colossae. He'd never been there. Uh, it was an ancient city in Asia, what's called Asia, uh, historically then. It was close to a community called Laodicea. But if you read the book of Acts, three missionary trips that Paul makes, uh, there's no mention of Colossae. Now, he was in Laodicea. Laodicea, as I said, and Colossae close together. Um, and so Paul, and even the scripture will bear out here, uh, in the fourth chapter of Colossae, he'd not been to Colossae. But, but he's writing these powerfully, emotionally, spiritual uh, statements concerning about who they are, what God had done and is doing in them. And then what's called the increasing fruit, the love you have for all the saints, the faith that you have in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm just going to briefly talk about that because here's when I read that, the encouragement comes from it. So he's never been there, never been to them. He hopes to go there. You can read about, there's a statement in the book of Philemon about uh, Epaphras and uh, his relationship and We'll talk a little bit more about Epaphras in just a moment. But here's the encouragement. 2,000 years ago, Paul, who must have been a very obscure person in history, um, the people that were living in the civilized world at that point, they could have told you, probably, if not all, most of them could have told you who Caesar was. Probably could have. I don't imagine very many people knew who the Apostle Paul were. Now it's 2,000 years later. I, I promise you, I, I think I can ask any of you, tell me who Caesar was 2,000 years ago when Paul was a prisoner waiting to be brought before him. How many people would know? I just have to tell you, I doubt very many. You could find out. You could look it up. But I'm going to tell you something. For the last 2,000 years, the influence letters, the life, the work of the Apostle Paul has been magnified far beyond all the seniors throughout all of history. So I start there. This man, he's an older man now, he writes a letter to a group of people, Christians. He knows of them through a unique relationship, never been to them. And if you look at these statements again, you ought to read them and reread them, the statements that he makes about them. I come away from that, and I am, I'm encouraged. I, I have to tell you, my office this week, as I'm going back over these passages and studying this, it was that reminder to me that Jesus Christ made a comment to, to Peter in the book of Matthew, and he was talking about faith. He'd asked Peter, who do people say that I am? And Peter said, well, some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Elijah returned, or Jeremiah returned, uh, John the Baptist. And he said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the son of the most high God. You're the Christ. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon of Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And my father in heaven did. And from now on, you're going to be called Peter. And I'm going to build a church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I don't care where you're at today. I don't care where you live and what nation you live and what community. There are groups of Christians that are meeting, uh, even in these circumstances, that are meeting. And we may be doing it through live broadcast. Maybe it's in a home. Maybe it's a family, one family at a time. But there are Christians. That is the church, the body of Christ, the sons and daughters of God. 
their meetings throughout, throughout the world. Their reach is far greater than this virus. I want you to stop and think about that. There are governments, huge governments, world power, power governments, uh, world powerfully, you know, in the world that don't have the reach of, of this virus. The, 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 the virus is, is governing, is governing governments. But it's the church. The church has a far greater influence than in any level. And that's what these statements have to do with here. The church has a far greater influence in the world than any government and any one individual. The church is not made up of any one individual. It's made up of brothers and sisters and husbands and wives and families and individuals of all race, color, creed, all of us. Black, white, yellow, red. It's, it doesn't matter. Um, every language, every nationality. Jesus made a statement 2,000 years ago about the church, and we are part of that living proof today. Nations have come and they have fallen, but the church continues. Now, let me just say, you know, and I've mentioned this before, and I'm going to mention it as often as God gives me opportunity, but the church is an easy target. I've heard it. I've experienced it. Before I was a Christian, I'm sure I engaged in this thought. You know, it's a very popular thing. I saw it all through the years going into prison units where inmates would say to me, through all those studies, they would say, talk about, well, the church. You know, the church is full of hypocrites. Okay. All right. I've had people degrade the church, and I've asked them, have you never been to church? No. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. You have no idea what you're talking about. So, but it's an easy target. That's the point. And, and, and some of it, the church has brought on itself. We are full of hypocrites. I, you know, if you're a Christian, you have admitted you are a hypocrite. Think about that. Because to be a Christian, you've had to admit your weakness, your flaws, your struggles, your sin. And you, part of that's hypocrisy. We all struggle with it at some level. But that's just one of many things that has and could be wrong with it. And so as a Christian, you know, we are. This is what I've heard it said. This is a hospital. A hospital for the broken, lost, hurting, sinful, needy people of the world. And, and uh, here's what I would tell you in my experience with the church. There are hypocrites. There are self-righteous uh, people. There are what we call legalists. People that use God's word to uh, cause pain rather than healing. And people that use God's word erroneously for their own self. Uh, we see that in the 18th chapter of the Gospel of Luke with the Pharisee that goes and prays in the temple. You read it. There are those. But here's what I'm absolutely convinced of. You couldn't change my mind. And you, you couldn't change my mind based upon my own personal experience, and then seeing this statement, reading this statement 2,000 years ago, that Paul is affirming the things that I have seen. That the majority of Christians, the majority of Christians that I have ever, ever, ever spent any time with at all, it's true of the church right here in Curtin, the more, majority of us are just people that are trying to live day by day to the best of our ability pay our bills, love our wives, raise our children correctly. Uh, we falter, we fail, we stumble, but we, we continue to live by faith and we continue to serve and we continue to give. And one thing that I'm absolutely sure of, and you're not hearing this on the news, let me tell you, so you're not hearing this on the news, you won't hear it on the news, but it's what the Bible calls the good news. It's part of the good news is the most benevolent organization in 2,000 years in all of humanity since the church was established is the body of Christ. I challenge anybody, anytime, anywhere, any place. And we are an easy target. And one of the things that's not talked about is the majority of those folks, those people that are Christians that God has saved and established and built, uh, the majority of them give and continue to give and give and give and give. And it's unheralded. It's unheard of. I, I don't have enough time if I started today through next Sunday and I were to list all of the acts of benevolence and kindness and service that I've witnessed to Christians over three decades. I, I couldn't cover it all. I don't believe that I can cover it all. I have just seen unconditional and just this sense of giving. There's a need. 
unqualified, let's do this, let's help this, let's help them, let's do this, let's, what, what can we do? But it's not, it's not on NBC or CBS or ABC, or, but it's a living truth. And I read these words and I'm reminded of them very quickly. Um, when he talks, he says, we give thanks to God. Verse 3, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. I know that I'm a Christian today and part of the providential, sovereign work of God. I didn't know this until years later, but in a very difficult time in my life, uh, my grandmother, I didn't know until uh, several years after I had been saved. But I had found out that my grandmother had, had met at the Woodlawn United Methodist Church in San Antonio, Texas. And they had a women's uh, guild there. And she had met weekly. And they had been praying and praying and praying and praying for me. I didn't know any of those women. Never met them other than my grandmother. But they were praying for me. They were praying for me. And I have to tell you, I think back. Every time I read this statement, any other statement, I'm reminded Every day, Christians throughout the world are praying. They're praying, believing, knowing the power of prayer and how God works and that God is honored and people are blessed. So there's that. So since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints, prayer, faith, love. When I think about faith, the writer of Hebrews says that without faith it's impossible to please God. And without faith it's impossible to please God. Let me tell you something about the church, the body of Christ. This is the church at Colossae. But I can tell you it's true of the church at Curtin. And it's the church anywhere that God's people are meeting today. Um, is this these acts of Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the same writer in Hebrews would say, Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. And, and as what I've said about benevolence and service, I would say to you about faithfulness. The world will only be as faithful. The world will only be as faithful until, listen to this, a little bit of a riddle, until they cannot be. Well, what would that be? Because there's nothing the world has to offer that isn't temporary. It's temporary. Nations are temporary. Money is temporary. It's called temporal. Our health is temporary. Our life here on earth is temporary without faith. Without faith, we understand something. With faith, we understand that my God is an eternal God. My God meets my needs. My God intervenes for me in times that where I couldn't, I, every Christian I know can tell a story where they look and they said, boy, I was bottomed out. There was nothing. My family turned on my back. There wasn't any money. There wasn't any hope. There wasn't any answer. There wasn't any, any but God met my needs. Faith in the living God. Romans 10, 17 says faith, listen, consequently faith comes by hearing and hearing the story of Christ. When you hear the story of Christ, and that is the church, the church is those people that God has saved in his providential sovereign will. He saved us and he's knitted us and he's built us. And the thing that we have unique is that because we know that we have faith in him and we have faith in anything, anything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, it, everything, because we know that the same God who saved us and established us has a better promise and a better place and it's eternal. And then this love, the love which you have for all the saints. I've seen man's love. I've experienced man's love. You ought to read 1 Corinthians 13 today. The scripture says, John, the apostle John would say God is love. He is love. He is spirit. But don't measure that in the way a man, a human being measures love. Read 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love isn't jealous. It's not arrogant. It doesn't brag. It's not boastful. What does it inherit? It, listen, it holds no record of wrong. When you think of spiritual warfare, I have to tell you, I think if 
you, if you believe in spiritual warfare. Satan is called the accuser. He came to kill, steal, and destroy. And what Satan does more than anything is he wants you and I to compile a list. He wants me to have a list against you, Mark. Well, Mark did this to me, and he hurt my feelings, and he said this, and he wants me to have you and I have a list against me, and, and elders, and preachers, and church members, and they do. He wants us to have a list. That's what Satan desires. He wants us to carry around a list that says, hmm, yeah, I know what she did. I know what he did. I know how I've been hurt. Now, the church is, this is a growing, and I am convinced this is a lifelong growing experience that we have, and Paul makes this statement here about the love that they had for all the saints. But here's what I know. Is that I have seen unconditional acts of love that have to do with the eternal purpose of God in the church that I've not seen anywhere else. I have seen them witnessed our flaws. I have been, I have been guilty of keeping a list. I have. Husbands and wives do. We do it. But the love that Paul is talking about here is the expression, the reality that says, God saved me. And everybody that he has united me with, all the people that I worship and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, and the people that I study God's word, and the people that I pray for and that are praying for me, here's the truth about that. We're bound together by a love that says, first and foremost, God has done the same thing for you that he's done for me. In all my brokenness and hurt and pain, and God said, I love you. And I have a faith that knows that true because his son on the cross would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't have a list. He didn't have a list. He wasn't holding a record of wrong. Although sometimes we fail in that, I'm convinced that when Paul makes this statement, he is thinking about that very thing that this church, this people that have faith in Christ Jesus have a love for all the saints. Now I'm going to finish with this verse. Verse 5. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Because of the hope which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. I don't know how much the world has to offer concerning hope, truth, and good news. I don't know. I could preach one sermon on this. Maybe, maybe you, uh, you've placed your hope in the medical precisions and the labs and the president. And maybe you haven't. It's hard to know who's telling the truth today. I want to believe the people that are responsible for governing this country are telling the truth. I want to believe that. But all I do is I look and I see and I think, oh my, who's telling the truth? And there's not much good news, is there? I mean, we have little snippets of good news. We do. But it's not eternal good news. It's not the good news that says to live as Christ and die as gain. It's not the good news that says, if I catch this virus and I die, praise God. Maybe I'll live, maybe I won't. It won't matter because this thing here is temporary. But what I have with him and here is eternal. My hope that is in heaven has been secured. And I'm bound together by people for 2,000 years now that are called Christians. And we live by faith. And we live with our flaws. And we try to live understanding unconditional love. Now, brother, you can hope in that. There's truth in that, and that is a gospel. That is the good news. And so I want to finish here this morning and just challenge you to think about these things. Um, so much encouragement. In I have to tell you, I have had more encouragement over the last three weeks 
my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We haven't even been meeting together, not, not in fellowship on the worship service. But we've been meeting in other ways, communicating, reaching out, serving, helping. And the encouragement for me as a preacher has just been overwhelming. I mean, this has been powerful. It could have only been done by the Spirit of God in a very difficult time. And so I read this, and I challenge you again, and I hope you're encouraged by it, that this, these are living words. They're eternal words. And they're words to take to heart. And so consider them and uh, be thankful. Be thankful for the church that God has established, the body of Christ, his bride, the sons and daughters of God, his kingdom. Uh, because that's where genuine truth and love and good news exists. Thanks again for visiting us. I wanted to ask you on Wednesday nights at 6.30, I think we had said 7, at 6.30 we do our Zim, our Zion Youth Ministry. Um, so tune in, Facebook Live. Uh, we have a good time with our kids. Again, thank you. We're going to have a closing prayer that Mark is going to have a closing hymn and a benediction uh, for us. And so... Uh, Let's see, who's going to do our closing prayer for us? Uh, well, I'm going to ask Larry Thompson. He's one of our elders. Larry, you can come up and do our closing prayer. Mark will have a closing hymn and a benediction. Again, thank you. I hope you've been blessed this Sunday morning. And uh, we look forward to that time when we can meet again. Mark, or Larry. Father, we are grateful for the encouraging words of Paul. We know that they were written years and years and years ago, but they're written for us today. May we have that hope in you. May we have that love in you. May we have that encouragement that is with us through whatever we're going through at this time. We're grateful for the opportunity to meet here. We're grateful for your love and your care. We ask this in Jesus' name. uncertainty in the world, even though there's a certain amount of uncertainty about where we will be tomorrow, next week, how long it will be before we can come together physically, one thing we do know for certain is that God is faithful, and great is His faithfulness. So I thought it might be an appropriate song for us to end this morning's live stream with, to sing the great old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. You should see the words in your Facebook Although many of you probably know it by heart. Let's sing them together.